0: Well, good morning. Uh, Hopefully that video did not make you comfortable. All right. Uh, The whole idea behind it is simply to remind us that Jesus calls us to do things sometimes that we don't want to do. There's a book in the Old Testament of the Bible that does the exact same thing. It's a short little book by the name of Jonah because it was a man named Jonah who once was given a very difficult assignment. And he didn't like it and he ran from it. And there are things we can learn from his account. There are ushers that are walking up and down the aisles right now. If you raise your hand, they'll be glad to give you a pen. And you use the pen to fill out the blanks in the outline that's enclosed in your bulletin. And the title of my message today is at the top of this outline. It simply reads, we must care about people living in spiritual darkness. God wanted to teach that lesson to a prophet of his by the name of Jonah. And it's a lesson he wants to teach us today, too. Would you uh, join me for a word of prayer, please? Lord, I thank you that we can be a part of a second installment in this Little mini series on Jonah, and I pray, Lord, today that you would speak from your word. I thank you for your word, it's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And today, Lord, we're going to hear words angry words directed toward you, Lord, from a man named Jonah. He just said out loud what some of us probably have thought many times, but didn't have the courage to say. And Father, I want us to learn from his example. So, Lord, um. Just pray, Lord, that you'll speak, move me out of the way, and teach us what you want us to learn from the writings of Jonah. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Well, point one in your outline simply says this, when given a difficult ministry assignment, Jonah ran from God. This is part two in a little mini-series. I'm going to kind of summarize where we've gone so far, where we came last week. This is from Jonah 1. When the Lord, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai, he lived about 750 years before Jesus, get up and go to the, before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, let me clarify that, uh, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. The Ninevites were wicked people, cutthroats. Killers, the official state, uh, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, and I do mean empire. Uh, You could think Al-Qaeda, you could think Nazis, you could think any group that ruled by terror with an iron fist, and you would be right, that would be the Assyrians. And God wanted Jonah to go there and preach a message of doom, that they would be destroyed. And Jonah wasn't going to do it because there was a shot, there was a shot that if he preached a message of doom, that they might repent, and Jonah wanted no part of that, because he didn't want any hope for these people. He hated them, and so when God called him to go 500 miles uh, to the east, uh, Jonah went west, got on a ship, and sailed as far as he could in the opposite direction. He forgot, though, that the same Lord who called him to go to Nineveh was the same God who made heaven and earth, and God sent a mighty storm upon the ship, and after the sailors cried out to God for understanding what was going on with them, because they realized this was some kind of supernatural storm, everything pointed to Jonah, and they asked him, well, what did you do? And he said, I'm running away from God. And they said, well, why did you do that? And what do we do now to fix this? Because they were were afraid they were all going to drown. He said, well, just pitch me overboard, and the storm will stop. And so they did, and the storm stopped, and the sailors all worshipped God and his mighty power, and Jonah sank on down. But before he died, before he drowned, God sent a large fish to come along to swallow him up, and the fish brought him all the way back to the beach where he'd gotten on the boat. That's how far we got last week. And there was a life application that we started on last week that I want to challenge us again in this week, and here it is. God may call you and me to ministry opportunities that are way outside of our comfort zones. Maybe to people like Amy, who are really different. I mean, what if God called us to befriend people that we don't know, or maybe we have every reason to think we won't like? Maybe that new family that moved in down the block, and by the way they dress and the way they speak, they're not from around here. I mean, they might be Yankees or something, you know, I don't know. Yeah, there we go. I mean, what if? What if God called us out of our comfort zones here? It's not just an Old Testament occurrence. It happens all throughout the Bible. Here's another example from the New Testament, a man named Ananias. This is from Acts chapter 9. Now there was a believer in Damascus, Damascus, Syria, named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. So Ananias went and he found Saul. If you're not familiar with the story, this man named Saul, his name was changed a little later to Paul, and he was the guy who wrote most. ended up writing most of the New Testament. But he didn't start out as a missionary. In fact, he was zealous to wipe out Christianity when it first began. Just as Ananias uh, quoted to the Lord there, um, Saul, he persecuted Christians, had them whipped and beaten, thrown into prison. even gave his consent when Stephen, a uh, devout Christian man was stoned to death for being a Christian. And he had orders one day to go to Damascus and arrest any Christians he found there. And on his way, Jesus appeared to him in a vision and called him into ministry. And the vision blinded Saul. And so for three days and nights, he didn't eat or drink anything. He sat there and pondered the vision. And that's when the Lord told him a man named Ananias was going to come He's going to pray for you, and then you'll be able to see again, and Ananias went. Can you imagine being Ananias, Lord, now, Lord, this guy, I've heard what he's done to Christians in Jerusalem, and Lord, if he's come here, I'm sure he's come to arrest Christians just like me. Lord, you can't be sending me to him, Ananias, go. I've got a plan for this man, and to Ananias' credit, he went, would you and I go? I mean, it's easy to say, man, Jonah, if the Lord gives you a clear direction, you got to go. I mean, we all obey every time the Lord's clear to us to forgive somebody, to quit gossiping, to get on with something we've procrastinated about. I mean, we we all jump to it right away, don't we? Yeah, everybody's quiet right now. Okay, no amens in that. I understand. Hey, look, this is a story that is meant to make us uncomfortable. When the people of God read it in Old Testament times, it disturbed them. When people read it in New Testament times, it still disturbs us. It should. It was never meant to make us feel comfortable. The problem is we get too comfortable. And we forget about the reason that we're here, to help other people know the Lord's love just as we do. And that brings us to point two in the outline. Well, the fish swallowed up Jonah and eventually traveled him back to the beach, as I said, and spit him onto dry land. And he proceeded on to Nineveh. And when revival, when Jonah finally delivered God's message to the people of Nineveh, revival broke out. Revival broke out. I mean, people wholeheartedly, I mean, a mass turning to the Lord. It was amazing. So I just want to read part of the story again. From This is the end of chapter 2 through chapter 3 in Jonah. Now the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And I always kind of would love to see a YouTube of that. I mean, what did that look like? This guy, you know, there's somebody fishing on the beach, and all of a sudden this huge fish comes up and spits this guy. How you doing? Yeah, good. All right. And, uh, I mean, what do you say? And uh, the, the fish spit him out on the beach, and the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Now get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. And this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. And he went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days just to see it all. Now, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. I mean, that was the message. That's it. He went around through the whole city doing that. Well, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast, and they put on burlap to show their sorrow, like a thing of a gunny sack or a potato sack, whatever you'd call it. It was itchy and scratchy and horrible, and it was meant to show that they didn't want to be comforted. They wanted something to remind them of how rotten they'd been. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, and he took off his royal robes, he dressed himself in burlap, and he sat on a heap of ashes which was the ultimate you could do in disgrace and shame and just say, I'm ashamed of what I've done. It was a sign of mourning that you were just undone and there was no joy in your life. Hmm. And then the king and his nobles sent out this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. I shared last week that, you know, God gets a bad reputation, that God is just waiting to strike us down, and nothing could be further from the truth. It wasn't true in the Life of Jonah wasn't true according to the prophet Jeremiah. This reference is not in your bulletin, but you could write it down. It's Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted and torn down and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. God wasn't trying to... He doesn't live to see people destroyed. He wants people to come to Him. And when Jonah proclaimed this word, the people did turn. They repented because God's word and his is powerful. His commands are true. And when confronted with their wickedness and the impending judgment, they turned back to the Lord and away from their sin. There's a life application for you and me in this. When we share the truth of God's word with others, we may be amazed at the results. We may be amazed I'm constantly amazed at what God does with his word. There are times when, uh, I mean, people ask me all the time, they go, "I look at your outlines, you just really have a sentence or two and then you have these big chunks of scripture. Why do you do that? And you put it up on the screens and you have it in the bulletin and people have their own Bibles. I mean, you got it all over the place and then you read it too. And I go, yeah, I know. I want people to hear God's word because God's word is living and active. It's powerful and it'll change people's lives. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah quoted the Lord as he spoke about his word. Listen to what he says about this. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. I'm convinced that every time we read God's word, it does exactly what God wants it to do. And it's amazing to me, because I can have a a small portion of scripture that isn't even directly supporting one of the main points. It's just a side point and an application And we can go over very quickly and sometimes I just read it and hardly have any comment and someone will come there and go, why did you read that scripture today? Why would you choose that today? Did my wife call you? Or something like that. And I go, no, I'm just really, really smart. No, I don't say that either. I tell them no. I do count on the fact though that as we organize these messages, as the Lord puts all this in my head, to put down on here, He's going to use it to speak to people. And sometimes one sentence can change their whole life. Because God's Word is living and active. I mean, Jonah didn't even tell the people to repent. Forty days from now, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Forty days from now, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And that was enough. And I'm constantly telling people, the word of God is powerful. And I said, boy, I'd love to share something with my nephew. I'd love to share something with my friend. I'd love to share something with one of my coworkers, but they would never listen. We'll pray about it when you get the opportunity. Just tell them God's word. It has amazing results. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, go ask one of the Gideons. You know those guys who put the Bibles in the hotel rooms? They do it all over the world. You've been in a hotel room, you open the drawer, and there's a Gideon Bible, and you go, man, why do these guys do this? I'll tell you why. They get letters and emails from people all over the world who tell them how they opened that Bible and they came to Christ. They opened the Bible and their whole life changed. A few years ago, I had a, um, dinner with a f- uh, man in Atlanta, and talked to him and just in the course of conversation. I asked, "Well, how'd you become? We're Christians, and so how'd you come to Christ?" And He goes, "Well, you're not going to believe this, but he goes see, so one of those Gideon Bibles in a hotel room. He said I was really down in my life, and I was thinking about taking my life. I checked into that hotel room, and I was going to commit suicide there. And I opened up that drawer, and I pulled out a Gideon Bible, and I opened it up, and I started reading, and I discovered that Jesus died on the cross for my sins." and knelt beside the bed in that hotel room, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Now, if you and I are willing to proclaim God's word to people, it'll never return void. So we don't need to be ashamed of this. When God gives us the opportunity, and we're certain he has prepared somebody's heart, go boldly in. I mean, who'd have thought the Assyrians would turn around? Well, Jonah... But nobody else. We might be amazed at the results. Here's another life application. If God can speak through his word like that, guess what that means? Here's the flip side. What that means is if God is speaking to you and me, we better listen and obey. Now, if God's word is living and active, and he sends it out for a reason, then if he's convinced you of something from his word, he expects you to listen. He expects me to listen. I mean, if he's convinced us lately, we've been reading the Bible, and we realize, hey, i got to get rid of some lust in my life. i got to get rid of some gossip in my life. i got to control my temper. i got to get busy on some things I've been procrastinating on, and that's been clear to me from God's Word. Well, he expects us to listen and obey. Because that's the reason he gave you the Word, to help you, so you can become more like him. There were some religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were pretty convinced they were religious enough without Jesus, and they didn't need his instruction on anything. They didn't want to listen to him, but they couldn't deny the fact that he'd done my, many mighty miracles. And so one day they came to him and they said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority, because Jesus was teaching all these things with great authority, um, God's view on a whole host of issues. Well, prove to us your authority. Now, Jesus had done lots of miracles. Blind people had come to see, and lame people come to walk, and they had known all that. They just wanted one more. We'll do a magic trick for us, and then we'll believe. Well, Jesus knew they wouldn't believe no matter what he did. They just wanted to see a trick. And Jesus replied, "'Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, "'but the only sign I'll give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. "'For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, "'so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights.'" The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah, and now someone greater than Jonah is here. But you refuse to repent. The queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. When God gives us his word, he expects us to listen. But you know what's crazy? We can get God's Word any way we want it. This is one translation of the Bible I'm reading from. Here's another translation. I've had these copies for years and marked them all up. Now, on my iPad, I can get 30 translations from YouVersion.com for free. I can download them anytime. I can read them anytime I want. In fact, if I get on a Bible reading plan and sign up for it, it'll email me the reading each day. And when I finish, it'll say, good job. I can get that same thing on my phone, on my smartphone. If I'm standing in line at a grocery store... I'm waiting on something, I can read the Bible right there. And guess what we refuse to do? The Bible is available to us more than ever before, and we don't have time for it. And you know what? The people of Nineveh will stand up against us one day on Judgment Day and say, Now, how is this? God was trying to speak to you all those times, all those years. You could get the Bible in 30 translations on a smartphone, and you wouldn't even listen. All we got was one grumpy old prophet who smelled like fish or shrimp creole, okay? Been half digested in a whale. That's all we got, and all he did was preach condemnation, and we repented. You had God's word, and you wouldn't listen. Anybody besides me feeling uncomfortable yet? This book was written to make us feel uncomfortable, It's not good if we're running from God. If God has been speaking to you lately about some area of your life that you need to surrender to Him, why are you running? It didn't work out for Jonah. And the people of Nineveh repented with one warning from a prophet who was as half hearted as anybody Nineveh will be destroyed in 40 days. Didn't even tell them to repent, didn't want them to repent because He didn't like them. And yet Jesus came telling us to repent, saying I'll forgive you and I'll die for your sins, just come to me. I'll carry your burdens and I'll give you the power to change and we still won't come. Now how is that? Well point three in your outline reminds us of another important lesson to learn. Jonah had no compassion or love for the sinful people of Nineveh. Zero, he didn't care. Well, the change of plans, when God relented and said, I'm not going to destroy this city, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I tell you, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Yeah, it's right for me to be angry about this. Lord, I knew it. I knew if I preached judgment that some of those people might repent. Now the whole city repented. And Lord, I want these people to suffer judgment. I hate them. He had probably seen friends killed by them. He probably knew people who'd been carried off into slavery. These were brutal, vicious people, and he hated them. He had zero compassion for them. And even though he was representing the Lord, he forgot one important thing and this is the note in your outline, that God has unlimited compassion and love for sinful people. Jonah had zero. God has unlimited. I mean, the irony of this should not be missed by us. Who is the prophet who ran away? Jonah. Who is the guy who endangered the whole crew on that ship? Jonah. Who is the guy that God gave a second chance to? Jonah. Who was the guy who didn't want God to give any second chances to the people of Nineveh? Jonah. We don't need to forget this either. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. If you'd underline filled with unfailing love. God is unfailing love. That's that's who he is. He doesn't punish us for all our sins. He doesn't deal with us harshly as we deserve for, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And that is some wonderful love. And Jonah forgot all that. And sometimes we do too. So Jonah decided he was going to go outside the city and pout. Maybe the people were kind of half-hearted in their repentance and maybe God would destroy them all. He was going to plunk himself down outside the city and wait and see what happened. Lord, you told me to go and preach the city be destroyed. I did. and Now, God, I'm holding you to it. You better destroy these people. Even though God's saying, is it right for you to feel that way? Yeah, it is, Lord. I'm sitting here till you do it. Well, So Jonah went outside of the city, out to the east side of the city, and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eases his comfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so it withered away, and as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. I mean, it sounds like Alabama in July. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is hot, Okay. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, now you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? I mean, Jonah, if you don't care about the people, will you at least care about the animals? I mean, you care about a plant, one plant, I got 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness in the city and you don't care for them. Would you at least care for the animals? Is there any compassion in you? These people are living in spiritual darkness. And if they die this way, they'll be lost forever. And Jonah didn't care. That brings us to a life application. God wants you and me to care to care about people living in spiritual darkness. And you go, well, John, I mean, I would never act that way. No, why would I think so? I mean, it's not like we live in a culture that is split right down the middle on a whole host of political issues. It's not like when you turn on cable television at night, you see people from the left and the right yelling and screaming at each other and nobody listening. It's not like even Christians can't get wrapped around the axle about an issue that's very important to us and be angry at the people who think differently than us and vote differently than us. It's not like that, is it? Or is it? Isn't it entirely possible that the people who think differently from me on issues that are very important to me, biblical issues like the sanctity of life, for instance, isn't it very possible that people who disagree with me on this, many of them are in spiritual darkness? You can tell by the way they talk and the way they live. And isn't it possible that the reason that they talk such a way that they do and can be vile and offensive and attacking to Christians is because they don't know a thing about the Lord? And isn't it possible that Jesus died on the cross for them too? Now look, we have an election coming up, and we have a lot of issues on a ballot, and I want every one of us to vote with our conscience and vote as Christians. We're citizens here, and we have every right to do so. But we have no right to hate people who are lost, just because they disagree with us. Well, yeah, actually, I was going to weep on that one, (laughs) okay, more than applaud. Because this is the tenor of the conversation in our culture now. And I fear for it. I fear that in the midst of caring about many issues, which I care passionately about, I might forget that God loves the people on the other side of the issue from me. And I forget to pray for them. And I forget that God loves them a lot. And that he forgave me of my sins. Jesus had to remind his disciples of this. In Luke 9, he was on his way to Jerusalem. As the time drew near for Jesus to ascend to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where he was crucified. Jerusalem is where he died on the cross for my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world. Jerusalem is where Jesus was hanging on that cross, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's praying for the people who are nailing him to the cross. Well, he sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Jerusalem was in the southern part of Israel. Jesus had been in the north. He was going south, traveled to a band in the middle known as Samaria. The Samaritans and the people in Jerusalem had very different views on who God was and the right way to worship him and the Jews in Jerusalem had nothing to do with the Samaritans. The Samaritans had nothing to do with the Jews in Jerusalem. Didn't like them. Way outside of their comfort zone. Have nothing to do with them. Jesus is passing through. Sent some people into one of these villages in Samaria where he could teach about God there. And here's what happened. But the people of the village in Samaria didn't welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. We don't have anything to do with those Jerusalem folks. If you're headed there, just keep on going. Don't stop here. Now, when James and John, two of Jesus' disciples who'd been with him for three years in ministry, saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. No, because I'm going to Jerusalem to die on the cross for their sins. That would probably be inconsistent. Lord, should we call down fire on them? And boy, we could do the same thing. We can get so angry that people won't see our way and they won't understand what righteousness is about, and we forget all this. And Lord, just call down fire on them. Lord, I wish you just destroy them all. And now we may not say that out loud, but we might think it. Jonah just said it out loud. I've told you this book is to make us uncomfortable. This should make us very uncomfortable. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. This is Saul later. This is the guy whose eyes were opened when Ananias prayed for him. He wrote this later on. He said, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he said, I was the chief of sinners. I used to kill Christians or be, applaud people who did. I would torture them. And now he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. And when he gives us the opportunity, we proclaim his word, and it will never return void. And what if God called you and me to that? Way outside of our comfort zones. Would we go? I'd like you to hear the story of one of the women in our church, Henrietta Bascom. God called her to do just exactly such a thing, and I'd like you to hear how it turned out. Would you watch the screens, please? If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and making everything as plain as day, And if I have faith to say to a mountain jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give all I own to the poor, or even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gone nowhere. So, no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do, I'm bankrupt without love.
1: Hi, I'm Henrietta Bascom and my husband Don and I moved here in 2002 from Vermont to Prattville, Alabama. One of the first people I met in my neighborhood invited me in for coffee when I got to her house about seven after seven and I was supposed to be there at 705 and she let me know that it was on her time schedule and I needed to make sure that I was going to be there at 5 after 7, if not call her and let her know. And it didn't take me too long to realize that this was not the kind of friendship that I wanted um, because she was arrogant, nothing was right in life, she was negative. Um, And I just said, this is not for me. And I left that day. A month later, she showed up at my house and asked me if I'd be willing to walk with her in the mornings. And my first reaction was, no way. But reluctantly, I started walking with my neighbor, not really wanting to. I had been walking with her every day for a couple of months and one day after praying that morning for our neighborhood that God would use us to be a light, I went walking with her and we got to her house and she looked at me and she said, I really do like you and every time I meet a religious person like you they drop me, and if you're gonna drop me like the others have, let's end our relationship today and don't come back. I felt that God was calling me to love someone that was out of my comfort zone at that point, and I needed to continue to walk with her and be a friend. I knew this was gonna be a challenge, being a friend to this lady, but I had no idea. What a challenge and how hard it was going to be. Two years after I, uh, we had walked every day together, uh, we found out that she had cancer. And I knew that I began to know why God had placed me in her path, because she trusted me at that point. So I had the privilege of working with hospice um, for the last two months of her life. She had no other other friends because of her being negative and arrogant and turning people off. About six weeks before she died, she looked up at me and asked me if I thought she would go to heaven when she died. And I asked her if she would, wanted to go to heaven and she said yes. And so I began to share Jesus with her and then I asked her if we could pray together and if she would pray after me, and she did. She, she never had love in her home. She never had um, um, any church background. It was an experience but a blessing because, praise God, she came to know Jesus before she died.
0: Well, what if God called you and me to such a situation? I mean, would we go? The same two disciples that wanted to call down fire were with Jesus the night before he was crucified. And a special meal with them, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He told them he was going to die on the cross the next day. And he said, I want you to remember what I'm doing here. I'm dying so you can live. I'm going to pay the penalty for your sins so you can go free. And he passed around the bread and they, Each took some of it, and they ate it. After the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. He passed it among them, and he said, I want you to drink of this. This is my blood that shed for you. So they drank from it, and they passed it around. And as they did so, he reminded them that his blood washes away the sins of the whole world. They were supposed to eat this bread and drink of that cup, And remember him every time they did it. So this morning, we're going to take communion together here as Christians. There are tables in the front of the room and in the back of the room. And uh, you'll find a small piece of bread as well as a cup. We want you to take that, take the bread, take the cup, and then return to your seat as the worship team leads us in some singing. But before we come, I want to remind us what we're saying when we do this. If you come and pick up a piece of bread, you're saying, I need Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. If you pick up a cup and you're going to drink of it, you're saying, I need Jesus to wash away the sins that I've committed in my life. You're also saying this, the whole world needs this. And I want Jesus to be discovered by everybody else in the world, too, even people I don't like. So we're going to have a word of prayer and we're going to ask God to bless this time together. And after that prayer, I'm going to invite you to come. There, are, Like I said, tables in the front, tables in the back. Are there tables out in the hallway too? I don't know. Are there? Okay, there's some tables out in the hallway too. We'll open the doors. I want you to get the bread and the cup and bring it back in. But the idea is simply this. We're going to eat this together. And we're going to thank God that he loves us and forgives us. And we're going to ask him to forgive the sins of the whole world. And allow us to be messengers of that good news. We want that. I mean, that's why he came. That's what he achieved. But will we be ambassadors of that? Even to people we don't like. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, this is a uh, challenging meal. And Lord, I thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. But Lord, I thank you for the honesty of Jonah. Lord, he wasn't courageous and he wasn't obedient. but At least he was honest. And God, I want to be honest too and say, God, if you don't give me love for people, I won't have it. And so God, this morning we come before you and we thank you that you died on the cross for our sins and we thank you that you died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, that whoever comes to you can be saved. And Father, as we eat this meal, remind us of your great love for us and your great love for even the people who've hurt us. Help us to understand these things.